What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Zuniga Films Podcast. On this episode, I have with me Shannon Johnson, a.k.a. The Professional Pen. She's a script consultant that specializes in helping writers at all stages of their career. Shannon describes how she went from working as a production assistant to becoming a programming and development TV executive in Los Angeles. Today, she runs her own consulting business, sharing her knowledge on the ins and outs of professional writing. So without further ado, Shannon Johnson. How's it going, Shannon? Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on. Thank you. So I wanted to get you on this on this podcast because you actually reached out to me mm-hmm. and I started to kind of do a little bit more research on what you do um, as a script consultant and I started to kind of learn more about your story, how you got started as a writer and it was very interesting and the fact that you actually turned what you like to do into a business um, is great. And the fact that you're able to help other writers in the process is something that I think there's a gap, especially when it comes to, you know, in the film industry, the arts, and how to actually make income and a living doing what you love to do. And I think you're doing a great service trying to close that gap and help writers actually, you know, um, actually make a living doing what they're doing and have their work uh, seen. Yeah, thank so, you. So how did you get started? Uh, well, I too grew up wanting to be a writer. I have always been that kid who had a book in her purse, right? I'm in the corner reading. I'm up all night. My mother's coming in like, hey, go to sleep. Not because I'm on the phone, but because I'm reading or because I'm writing. So I always wanted to be a writer. My eighth grade, not eighth grade, uh, my third grade teacher actually told me I should be a writer. You know, when you're a kid, your your teacher's like everything, right? So if your teacher says to you, you're good at this thing, you should do it. You kind of take it to heart. And I did. And I never let it go. Um, But when I got to film school, uh, I went to film school for graduate school. I went to Florida State University, which is a great program. Go knows. Um, (laughs) When I got to film school, one of my teachers said to me, which is going to sound harsh, but it was the best thing he ever said. He said, why are you so great at getting everyone else out of their loopholes, but you can't do it for yourself? Mm. And, you know, it hit me like, wait, what? What are you trying to say? You know, but then I thought about it and I was like, well, yeah, but that's my favorite part. Like, I love coming to class when it's writer's group time, when we have to have read everyone else's uh, scripts and then kind of give critiques. And I would always find the holes and even be able to give suggestions on how to fill them. So he pointed that out to me and it was like, boom, magic, mind explosion. Like, wow, okay, I enjoy that. He realizes that I have a skill there. Maybe I should look into this thing. So when I graduated, instead of going the uh, the writer's route, which would mean, you know, try and try and try until something happens, right? Hoping mm-hmm. that you can get into a writer's room to be a writer's assistant or whatever. I had already done a lot of assistant work before I went to film school. So I moved out to L.A. and lived on couches and floors and I was a PA in every place and I interned in every place. I was at Dr. Phil. I was at Cube Vision. I was at ABC in casting for one of their shows. I have been every single title on a film set (laughs) possible so that I can learn everything. So I had already kind of done that life. I knew I didn't want to do it again. And then with this new information about 
this skill that I had with developing writers, I decided to go into development. So um, NBC had a program back then called the Entertainment Associates Program, which was basically your fast track to being an executive. So instead of having to start off as an assistant and then hope that someone would take you off the desk because you just don't know if that if it's going to work out that way, right? Um, instead, it give you a position that's kind of like your um, your junior development exec kind of title. So that's how I was able to get into development by going through that program and getting all of that inside information because I was in film school, right? Mm-hmm. And no one ever talked about the business side. No one ever right. talked about the business of TV and the business of film. So all of that information was new to me. I actually thought I was going to go in and just work with writers, right? Had no idea that it was going to be my job to deal with contracts and to deal with marketing. And and even back then, at that time, uh, having website content was like few and far between. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily a techie person. And it was my job still to like figure out, well, what are we going to put on our website for our content? And I'm like, wait a minute, you don't got, you guys don't have a, a department that does that. <laughs> I'm the <laughs> one who's going to have to do that. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but uh, that entire experience just gave me so much insight about what happens on the other side of the table. And the only reason I got out of it is because I've always wanted to be uh, a performing artist. So I had the opportunity to do that. And because I was, in quotations, young, uh, (laughs) younger than I am now anyway, uh, I felt like, you know, let me go see the world. Let me go be on the stage. Let me go understand what it is to be an actor who has to be, you know, in in auditions and stand in rooms and be on the other side of the table. Let's see what that is, what that's like. And it's crazy. So all hell to actors. Um, But, you know, I did that life for eight years. But while I was doing that, I was still working with writers and not because I was seeking it out. So that was the other thing. Like people would just keep coming to me, you know, with their stuff. Like, can you look at this? Can you give me some critiques? You know, I rewrote some things. I have some editing credits and books, you know, but it was like, wow, this just keeps falling in my lap. Why won't I pay attention to it? So I finally said, okay, look, let's focus and let's pay attention to what you're great at. Because a lot of, a lot of uh, let's just say, creative people mm-hmm. usually have a million different outlets, right? Like you usually aren't just good at this one thing. It's like, I want to be able to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. But you have to realize that then you're putting your energy into all of these different places, which means not one of those places is getting all of you. So it's really hard to find out what you're great at if you're trying to be good at a million things, right? You want to master something. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to focus so that I can master this thing. It's what I'm good at. Why not figure out how to make this my job so that I can do exactly what I want to do, which I think is helping writers get their stuff onto the screen. So long convoluted story, <laughs> but that's how I got to this place right here. No, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Um, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Um, starting with film school. Okay. Looking back at it now, what were the pros and cons of going to film school? Okay. So I'm just going to say this, and a lot of people don't necessarily agree with me, but I don't necessarily think school post high school is necessary for anybody unless it's necessary for your particular plan. Right. I think we don't teach high schoolers to make a plan. So we're just kind of all following what people say that we should do. Right. And 
especially for people of color who weren't allowed to attend college for such a long time, right? It's really being pushed now, go to college, go to college, go to college, go to college. But college is not for everyone, right? And if mm -hmm. we can figure out in high school what your skills are, what you enjoy doing, what you want to enjoy, to, what you want to be able to do, but you just don't have the skills yet, right? Then we can set a plan for them. So I just want to put that out and say that, you know, college is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Film school is definitely not necessary. It isn't. Um, if you think about it, I would say it's more so, you know, my generation in these last 20 years that have decided to go to film school. Everyone else at 18 just said, hey, I'm just gonna go out to LA and I'm gonna start from the bottom and work my way up. So it isn't, it, it wasn't until recently when people like my age started to be those people in those positions that now it's like, well, what school did you go to? You know, before mm -hmm. then, no one cared. They didn't care about your bachelor's degree. They didn't care about your master's degree. They didn't care about your doctorate. They care about what kind of experience you have in this industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, the reason I enjoyed film school is because I'm a person who likes a classroom experience. So coming from Houston, Texas, I knew nothing about film. I didn't even realize until I was like 21 years old that there's somebody who actually writes the TV scripts or writes the film scripts. Mm -hmm. I thought an author writes a book and then someone adapts it for the screen. I didn't even think of that someone as a writer. You uh -huh. know what I mean? Like that's yeah. how far you know, disconnected I was, especially there was no social media, there was no Google, there was nothing like that when I was in high school. So I would have never, you know, really known or understood. But my senior year in college, my mother sent me Essence Magazine and there was a uh, an article about a TV writer. And then it just was like, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't have to write the novel because I grew up saying, well, I'm going to be a novelist. I'm going to be an author. I always yeah. knew I wanted to make movies. I just didn't know that the screenwriter was a thing that I could do. So with that being said, you know, film school isn't necessary, but if you are a person who likes to learn in a classroom, then it works for you. Now, what I will say about Florida State in particular, obviously I went there, so I have, you know, um, more insight about that program than others, is that it teaches you every single below the line position and not just the above the line position. And for those mm -hmm. people who don't know what that means, when we do the call sheets, there's a literal like line and there are above the line people who are like your uh, director, writer, producer, editor kind of people. And then the below the line people are all of those other credits that you see uh, when you go to a movie and you stay at the end. And you're like, what's a best boy? What's a gaffer? What's a this? What's a that? Right. Those are all the below the line uh, credits. Florida State teaches you all of the below the line credits as well, which means when you graduate from school and you decide I'm going to move out to L.A., you aren't a 21 year old or even 30 year old, cause you can go back to film school at any age, right? I went for graduate school. So let me put that out there. I went to, went to film school for graduate school. So you can go back to school at any age, but you aren't coming out to LA thinking that you're going to get an above the line position right off the bat, right? Mm -hmm. Then you don't necessarily have to decide I'm gonna go be a waitress or I'm gonna go you know, work at a hotel registration desk. You can go get jobs on the film sets because you know how to do all of the other positions. And a lot of film schools don't focus on that. A lot of film schools only do the above the line stuff. They're teaching people to be writers and directors. Some film schools don't even teach editing or producing. <laughs> you know, it's wow. just writing, directing, writing, directing, writing, directing. But it's like, there's such a small percentage of people who actually get to become writers or directors, let alone writer directors, mm -hmm. right? So what I enjoy about enjoyed about Florida State 
to my dismay, because at that point, all I wanted to do was write, right? So I'm in graduate school. I came here because I wanted to focus on what I want to do, right? Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm already like, I have to be in these other classes. I don't care about cinematography. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to learn about gaffing. However, in hindsight, right, I have so many classmates who are able to come to uh, L.A. and work because they had those other skills. And then for people who don't know about the crew side, they're very loyal. Right. So if you come on to the to the set, you do your job and you do your job well, they'll hold on to you and take you to their next job and next job and next job. And next thing you know, you might have thought that you wanted to be this writer director. But now you're like the go to cameraman, you know. Now you've become a DP because you've been around and you've been putting in work, you know, behind the scenes. Or now you are an editor because you went from this PAing over here to over here and then you got into the editor's bay. And next thing you know, you've moved up and moved up. So I think that's really good about Florida State. Now, other film schools, I can't say what their pros and cons are. But I think if you have the money to spend, you're a person who learns well in a classroom setting because that makes a difference. Not everyone learns that way. The other thing that we have to realize is a lot of people who are teaching in film schools, uh, film schools that are about application because there are programs where you can go and it's about theory. So I'm not talking about, you know, getting your your uh, your film degree in theory, which means mm-hmm. you're probably just going to be writing about film. Right. So those people who want to actually apply it um, realize that a lot of your teachers are going to be people who are in the industry and understand that just because they know how to do it doesn't mean they know how to teach you how to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not everyone's a teacher. Not everyone's right. a teacher. Yeah. And I think we assume in the film industry that, oh, well, they've been doing this and this and this. So they should be able to relay that information to other people. And it's just not true. It just isn't. Um, so you just have to take all of that into consideration. You know, so if you have the money to spend on giving yourself a classroom education and then hoping that they do give you the time to apply, because not every film school does that. You know, if it's a writing program, you'll just be writing. But it doesn't mean that they'll ever put you on a set that they'll ever say. You have to write this five minute film, produce it, edit it, direct it, build your crew. Not everyone is going to do that, you know. So it depends on what kind of experience you want or what kind of skills you're trying to get on the other side of it and make sure that that film school is giving you that. Don't just go off of, oh, it's this film school name, right? There are plenty of people who've come through that film school and you've never heard of them before. So it does, it's not like an automatic, well, I went here, so I'm going to become this you know, great writer director. You may, you may not. But depending upon what you're looking for, you just have to do that research to make sure you're going to get it from that film school. Because I can't, I can't necessarily say I did that research, which is why when I got to Florida State, I was like shocked, like, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to have to do all of these things, right? But at the end of the day, I think it's a great program because you come out so well-rounded that when you get to L.A., you can do a million things. You aren't just waiting on your writing or directing moment. You know what I mean? There are so many other skills that you've learned along the way. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it depends on what you... I mean, I think for the most part, too, a lot of um, students going into college, if they do decide to go into college they still don't know what they want to do, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. Totally fine. Yeah, totally fine. But um, but it also depends on, like you said, where... Because I, I think you still kind of have an inkling of like where, where you kind of want to go, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just depends on, you know, how you learn. Yeah. That's all it is. And I think, and I, these days, anytime I talk to, to high school students, 
I tell them when you get to college, no matter what it is you decide you want to do or you claim you want to do, go intern in that area. Mm-hmm. If there are no internships available, go go to the, I was going to say the yellow pages like that exist anymore. <laughs> right? Go to Google, find some people in your area, call that office and say, hey, can I come shadow you a couple of Saturdays? Because I think especially as young people, we glorify whatever that industry is that we say we want to be in and we really don't know what it's about. And then you get into it and you're like, whoa, is this what I signed up for for Mm -hmm. the rest of my life? Like I come, I'm from Texas. So a lot of my friends grew up wanting to be engineers, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you want to be an engineer because you're going to make X amount of money and because you're into math and science. Then they get into their engineering internship and they're like, there's no way I can do this (laughs) every day of my life. It's a reality check. (laughs) It's a reality check. And I had the same thing. I wanted to go into advertising because I knew that being an author wouldn't make me money, you know, overnight. So I knew I needed a a day job. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into advertising. Why? Because there's always an advertising exec in every movie that you ever watch. Right. So I'm like, oh, that must be fun. Right. We took one field trip. This was while I was in college and I was in an advertising like student organization. We Mm -hmm. took one field trip and I was like, no way. There's no way. I don't want to do this. So I'm so glad I took that field trip because I would have majored in advertising and I would have gone into it and I would have not known. So it's the same thing with film. It's like, whatever it is you think you're you're interested in doing, go talk to those people, go shadow them, go see mm-hmm. what their life is really like. And especially in film, because it's such a collaborative effort. So you may think you want to be the writer when really you want to be the producer. Really, you want to be the editor. Mm-hmm. Really, you want to be the gaffer because you like putting things together and making things happen. It really has nothing to do with the writing, you know, whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like immerse yourself into it so you can really figure out what it is that you might be interested in doing. And then if you decide to change your mind, so what? Change it. Start again. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is definitely true. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so kind of fast forward just a little bit when you decided to move to L.A., Mm-hmm. So when you made that move, I mean, you know, from what you said, it was pretty tough. Um, were you intimidated or like, how were you feeling right when you got to L.A.? Hmm. Let's see. So I've lived in, in L.A. three times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the first time was before film school. So I quit my job in Texas, mm-hmm. put everything in my car, came out to L.A. I can't say I was intimidated because I tried to do as much research and preparation as I could before I got here. And with that being said, I did a lot of lying. (laughs) Okay. Because I realized really quickly that if my resume had, uh, because back then people used to put their addresses on their resumes. Mm -hmm. I know people don't really do that anymore now that we have email addresses. I realized that when they saw Texas, they didn't even respond. Mm. So I erased Texas. (laughs) I erased my entire address and I just put my phone number because at that point you can be anywhere when cell phones, right? You can be anywhere and have any kind of area code. So I changed it. Oh, actually what happened was I got a call from the Maury Povich show. Uh They wanted me to be uh, like a, a production associate or production assistant of some some type. I don't remember. How did they get into contact with you? Well, I, applied uh there there, back then there was it still exists now entertainmentcareers.net right Mm -hmm. so i applied to it and they called and they were like hey we'd like to do an interview blah 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 and i was like all right cool 
And then they said, um, after the interview, they're like, great. So can you start on Monday? And I was like, um, I'm in Texas. So I'm thinking because like everyone else in Texas around me, we mm. move a little bit more slowly out here. So it's like you have your, you send in your application. Somebody might call you for an interview in like three weeks. Mm. And then after you get your interview, someone may want you to start in the next like three months. Uh-huh. Maury Povich show was like, yeah, so can you start on Monday? And I'm like, I'm in Texas. And they're like, okay, goodbye. They hung up. It was, there was no more conversation of like, okay, so let's figure out what we can do to get you here. Uh-huh. And I realized it was because if they're calling you, they want you and they need you. If they didn't need you, they're not calling you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I was like, all right, let's take Texas off of the resume and let's just be prepared to go to L.A. So in order to intern in L.A. at most places, you have to be a student. But I had already graduated from undergrad. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember what I was putting on these applications or if I had someone at my university lying for me. I don't remember. (laughs) But I had like three or four internships set up before I got to L.A. Oh, okay. So, and I already had a savings account. So that's the other thing I try to tell people, save, save, save. If you're trying to go into this creative lifestyle, it's contract to contract. Even if you are the biggest director ever, it's contract to contract. So sure, if you're a big director, maybe you made $10 million. So you're not concerned when your next contract is, but on your way up, you're not going to make $10 million on your one contract. So when you're in pre-production or development, it could take years. So you just don't know when your next project is coming. So you have to be able to still live between that time. So I try to tell people all the time, save, save, save. Don't splurge until you've made it to that $10 million place. So because I had my savings account, I didn't come to LA expecting to get paid. I knew I was doing internships and most of the internships out here don't pay. So I didn't necessarily have that moment of intimidation. I think the hardest part was coming out of college and being told so much like this is what professionalism professionalism looks like and LA is its own beast, right? Like yeah. no one's wearing business casual unless of course you're in the executive place, right? Which mm-hmm. I didn't get to until however many years later. Um, but uh, I was worried about being on time and this was before there were any um, GPS. There was no GPS. And I was lost all the time. Luckily, there was a cell phone so I could at least call and say, where do I go? Right. Right. But I was going on like MapQuest. Oh, MapQuest. Yeah. You would print out the paper. Printing out the paper and still being lost because like if you go the wrong way or if you make the wrong turn, like what are you going to do? So, you know, that kind of part, like I didn't want to be fired because I was lost. You know, Uh so I had that kind of, you know, anxiety. But other than that, I didn't really feel any pressure because I knew what I was walking into. I knew that it was going to be unknown. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that we have that pressure is the same thing that I tell people about writer's block. Like writer's block is not real, right? The only reason we get there is because we start having an expectation of ourselves to be on a level that we're not. I'm not Steven Spielberg, so why am I expecting myself to do Steven Spielberg work? I have to meet myself where I am. So when I got to L.A., I knew I'm a newbie who's coming in. I've got these internships. I'm going to go in. I'm going to learn what I need to learn. And then I'm going to move to the next thing. And it's just going to have to happen like it has to. There's Mm -hmm. no there are no other no other routes, no other ways around this. It just has to happen. So Mm -hmm. I didn't allow myself to feel, you know, the the pressure of like, oh, well, you don't have a paying gig right now. So you failed. No, Mm -hmm. I didn't come out here for a paying gig. Therefore, if I do get a paying gig, success. 
Now I can, you know, celebrate that win instead of like, you know, putting that burden on yourself about what you have to be and what you're supposed to be. It's like, no, set realistic expectations and realistic goals, even if they're small ones. That way, if you reach it, you can celebrate your win and then set your next one, you know? Right. No, that that's that's smart. I mean, I like the fact that you said that you saved um, money going in because a lot of people, especially, yeah, like when it comes to the arts mm-hmm. and things like that as a creative, um, it is contract to contract for the most part. Like, yeah, when you are starting and you're building up and things like that, um, and some people, if they have a job already, they quit it. And then they go all in in that other thing they want to pursue. But then where's the back end money that's going to help fund your passion? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So there has to be something backing you up um, no matter what happens, because Mm -hmm. that's very important. Yeah. So when you um, started to, you know, network more, you know, build yourself up while you're in L.A., uh, what were some of the shows that you started to write for? So I actually, as an executive, then a lot of people don't really understand this because our names aren't in the credits, right? Uh-huh. Nobody knows that we exist, right? I'm not the person who does the writing for the show. Got I'm that. the person who gives notes on all of the scripts that come through, on all of the dailies that come through. And for people who don't know dailies, it literally means the daily shooting that was done on that show for that day, right? Mm-hmm. So- A lot of people think that the writers or the showrunners are the top when it comes to what you see on the screen. When in actuality, it's the studio or the network who's at the top. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who say yes and no. So even after the people have done the writing in the writer's room and the showrunner has looked it over, they then have to answer to us. And I was at a network, so I dealt with television which means there was nothing that was going to make it on TV until the notes came through us. So you never know who's making what decisions about what you see on television so that, or, or even in a film. So I tell people all the time, you can't necessarily look at something and go, oh my gosh, that writer is so good. You don't know who, whose idea that was. <laughs> you, know? Uh. you know, and especially when it comes to, um, to film, because a lot of the times, especially if you're kind of like a new writer, someone's going to buy your script from you and say goodbye. They're not there for the rest of the process. They're going to then hire 15 more writers to come in and rewrite your script. (laughs) Then the director is going to come in and he or she is going to give their perspective on what should be happening in the script. Mm -hmm. And then the cinematographer and then these people and these people and these people, not to mention the execs who've been there the entire time. Right. And we're giving suggestions and we're giving notes. And especially uh, I can't necessarily speak for film, but for television, there are things that have to happen. Right. So it's like, well, we need this in there. Put it in mm-hmm. there. It doesn't mean that it was the idea of the writer or the showrunner. It right. might have just been coming from the executives at the network saying that this has to be in there. We got to move this around. We need to have this because who knows what kind of contracts we have? Who knows what kind of um, press we're trying to get? So we might decide we're the ones who say, hey, um, there's a particular actor we want to work with. So we need a particular role for him or her. So we mm-hmm. need you guys to write this in. You know, got it. So I was that person. Okay, so basically, you oversaw the scripts coming in, Mm -hmm. making sure they were good to go, and Mm -hmm. they were. If you think of each show as its own brand, right? Mm -hmm. I was in charge of the brand. I also worked in 
development. So for development, that means I'm taking pitches. For current programming, that means I'm making sure that the day-to-day of that show is happening like it's supposed to happen. So being an executive, it's like having a 24-7 job, right? Because if if people are shooting, if your production, your show is shooting, they Mm -hmm. they have 12-hour days, right? Everyone kind of knows that. They do 12-hour days. Well, their 12-hour day may be 12 a.m. to 12 noon. Mm -hmm. So if my phone rings, I have to answer it because we're the money guys or we're the top people, right? So they can't necessarily just make decisions without having to talk to us first about what happens. Mm -hmm. So I work with writers and directors and producers from pitch all the way through production and then through the lifetime of their show if it happens that, if it makes it that far. And so, yes, I'm giving notes on everything. I'm working with the marketing department to decide what the marketing campaign looks like. I'm working with digital to figure out what kind of content is going to go on there, what new content. So if you think of uh, like The Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. and then I believe Fear of the Walking Dead started online first and then kind of became its own thing. So Mm -hmm. the creative executives are a part of all of that, any and all facet. I mean, like, for example, I always tell people, one of the stories. So when an executive comes on a film set or a TV show set, they are the highest ranking person there. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if they're coming from, from the studio or from the network. Um, so when we were uh, shooting one of our pilots, or it wasn't the pilot, but it was the first season. No, no, no. It was the pilot. We were shooting the pilot. And one of the biggest decisions that needed to be made that day was about our actresses, our protagonist's earrings. Hmm. We need to figure out what kind of earring she, she needed to have on. Uh-huh. And I was the executive who was there. So they couldn't move on and keep shooting until I decided what earrings she wore. (laughs) And a lot of people are like, well, why does that matter? Well, just think about it. Here's a woman. I'm Mm. not going to tell you her profession yet, right? But if you see a woman with big hoop earrings on, Mm. and then you see a woman with with pearl studs on, and then you see a woman with spikes through her ears, Mm -hmm. those are three different women. Right. Automatically. That's what we're going to assume. Now, for all we know, they are the exact same woman and they just so happen to put on an earring. Mm -hmm. But that's not how we watch television, right? That's not how we view people. If a person walks in with a tattoo, we're going to make an assumption about who that person is. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing when it comes to women's earrings. So now that we have that information, think about the fact that she's a police officer. Okay. Mm. Now what kind of earring is she going to have on? Then realize she's a detective. So she's not in uniform, but she's in like a suit jacket, and you know, you know, uh, a collared shirt. Okay, right. so she's probably not going to wear hoops because that's just going to be unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Unless that's who we want her to be. Is mm-hmm. she that kind of rebel who's like, you know, I don't care that I'm here working as a detective. I'm putting on my hoop earrings. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, if we give her a stud that's too small, will she then look too masculine? Is that what we're going for? Is she a masculine woman? Or is she a feminine woman? So it becomes like this big conversation, right? So now here I am with all the department heads. We got hair and makeup there. We got the director. We got the producer. Mm-hmm. I'm there. And we're all talking about earrings. <laughs> you know, that that it's true. Like, it's all in the details, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes a big difference because a lot of people don't realize what goes on behind the scenes. And a little thing like that can make all the difference make all the difference how they're perceived on screen exactly um so before we 
head into kind of like the business side and how you turned, you know, script writing um, into a business or consulting into a business, mm-hmm. I should say. Um, what were some of the shows or like what would, was like one favorite show that you were able to be a part of or work oh, on great. with? Yeah, so I was at the Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. So I worked on Warehouse 13, Haven, Being Human, Alphas, Stargate Universe. Mm-hmm. I was there at the end of Battlestar Galactica when we were doing Caprica, which didn't uh, last for too long. So we did mini series like Alice, uh, and I believe we did Peter Pan. Hopefully I'm not lying about that one. Um, so those were really, really fun because they're kind of like in a different, I don't want to say different department, but they're a little bit different. Um, but I enjoyed working on the pilots. So I really enjoyed working on um, Haven. And I really enjoyed working on being human because I was able to be there from the beginning. So having those conversations about earrings and having to be a person who's now Googling fashion so we could decide, you know, what is this person going to wear? Like uh-huh. before I got there, I would have never thought that that was a part of my job. Like, you know, I would have thought hair and makeup are going to figure that out, blah, blah, blah. But it's a part of my job to sell the brand. So Mm -hmm. even though I might not be the person who's choosing exactly what she's putting on, I'm helping to choose her look so that now hair and makeup have something to kind of pull from and really decide what she's going to be wearing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But also just being in the room at those beginning stages of writing so that we can have those conversations about who these people are, what they want and where are they going? What is it that we can expect to see from them week to week? Um, Relating to them is is, is, is the most important. And on television, you get a little bit more time, right? It's not like film where it's one in, one out. And if I didn't like you, whatever. Mm-hmm. Television, you, you give someone maybe three episodes before they're like, eh, I don't want to watch this anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out how to, how to make them relatable, for me, let's just go with the pilot. Forget about the next two episodes because in 2019, mm-hmm. we have too many other things that we can do. You know, mm-hmm. back then it was like, well, what else am I going to do if I'm not watching television? 2019, right. I can just simply be on my phone. Like I don't have to, you know, watch television. Right. So, so getting someone to buy into these characters and to like them and relate to them uh, right off the bat is just an interesting and fun job to have. Um, and even being a part of the, the casting process. Because if mm-hmm. you can imagine having read your favorite book, you know, books like Harry Potter and Twilight and all that, and then you get to the movies and you're like, that's not what that person looked like in my head, uh-huh. right? Getting to do that for the scripts, having worked on the scripts for X amount of months, because like I said before, uh, pre-production or development can happen for months and years before anything gets to the next step. So having, having read so many things and thought about this person so much and then to see the actors come into the room it's just so such, such a great part of the process. So I really enjoy working on pilots, which I think is why as a script consultant, or I, I chose script consultancy because I get to work in development. It's kind of mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't do too, too much current production. I have a couple of clients who do have ongoing shows that every now and again, they want me to consult on. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I'm helping them from the idea stage to the pitch stage, mm-hmm. getting them into the room and have, making sure that they're comfortable pitching their ideas uh, to executives and to producers and things like that. Got it. So when did you decide to turn your skills as a script consultant into an actual business? Because now you're doing this full time. Is that correct? Full time. Yes. Full so time. can you take me through that process and how you shifted 
Yeah, it was actually quite recently. Um, I was a performing uh, art. No, I was a performing artist for mm-hmm. eight years. Uh, I traveled the world, went to about 17 countries and 48 states <laughs> performing. Mm-hmm. And during that time, people were still contacting me about kind of working on their stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do it as like a hobby, do it on the side. So I made my Instagram page, I don't know, however many years ago. I didn't have very many followers and I would just kind of put up, uh, if you can think of me like deadline or variety, right? Mm-hmm. I would just kind of put up, these people bought this this week or, you know, this is happening, blah, 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 just so we could have something to go up. Because I didn't want to put up writing tips because I feel like so many put up, so many people put up writing tips. So I was like, well, I don't want to be the same as what other people are doing. So I kind of do a mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but this past summer, I said, okay, I've been doing musical theater for X amount of years and I'm just tired of only making a dollar. <laughs> I'm giving all I got. I'm giving all my time and all of my talent. And in return, they're like, here's your dollar. And I just was like, I just don't want to do that anymore. So I went to New York. I said, all right, I'm going to New York. I'm going to give myself three months. I'm going to audition every single day. And if this thing doesn't turn out to what it's supposed to be, I'm just going to move back to LA, put my degree to work and do what I enjoy doing anyway. Mm-hmm. So while I was in New York, I was auditioning at least three to five times a week. Out of two months, I was seen three to five times. So that means I was getting up and going (laughs) for all of these days and they wouldn't even see me. So there's one thing to go into the room and for them to say, you suck, you have no talent, go home. All right, fine. But to not even be able to get in the room. So you weren't able to... No. Perform. (laughs) No, I couldn't even get in the room to audition. I couldn't even get in the room to say, hey, can I sing you a song? Wow. Um, And it's because so many shows are um, union now and Mm. they won't see non-union people. And it just Mm. didn't used to be that way. Like it Mm. used to be that, yeah, sure, there were some union shows, but then there were a lot of non-union shows. And even for the union shows, if they had time, they would see you. Like you might not be seen until last, but they would see you. Mm-hmm. Now you get to the door and they're like, nope, not oh, going to see you. But they don't tell you that ahead of time. So you get up, you get dressed, you warm up, you walk across New York City. Oh, my gosh. I don't see how people live that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you walk across New York City. You're sweaty. You're nasty. You get there and uh-huh. they're like, thank you for coming. <laughs> you're like, I could have oh, stayed goodness. in my bed. Right. Jeez. So that that was happening. And, and you know, I would walk home and I would just kind of talk to God like, Really? You brought me all the way out here. I'm paying for this Airbnb for X amount of you uh-huh. know, months and I'm getting up and I'm putting everything I can and they won't even see me. Why am I here? And while I was in New York for those three months, I started getting so many writing clients. They just started coming. And I had a conversation with a, a random woman. I went to a ballet class, right? And when I was leaving, she was getting some... Um, I want to say sushi down the street and I was going to go to that same place. Now, usually I'm not really into strangers. So usually I wouldn't like go and like decide to sit with them. But for some reason I was like, I'm going to sit with her. Uh And during this conversation, she basically said to me, it goes down in the DMs. That's basically what she said. She Mm -hmm. was like, you have a different access now to people than you used to. So you're trying to go the traditional route because you grew up doing it during a traditional time where you apply, you wait on people to respond blah, 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 blah. She was like, now you can find people where they are. They're accessible. 
So you just have to put yourself in those situations. And to me, that's like, oh my gosh, I'm invading people's privacy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, I, I don't want to look like I'm a nuisance. But she's like, look, if you want to get it done, just do it. So I was like, all right, fine. And so because of that conversation with that stranger, I don't even know her name. Okay. Uh-huh. I decided I'm going to start going into people's DMs. And from that, I ended up doing a screenwriting workshop and getting um, clients from that. And then I found one woman who's my client now, and we're like this now. I had worked with years and years and years ago. I was like, she's not going to even remember me. Her face and name just kind of, not name, because I didn't even know her name. Her face Uh just kind of came up in my mind. I was like, huh, I wonder how she's doing. And then like two days later, her Instagram page randomly came up in my my discovery, Uh because I wasn't following her, because I don't know her name. And then there her face was. And I was like... (laughs) okay, maybe I should send her a message. Now she already has like 15,000 followers because she's an actress or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if I send her a message, she's not going to respond. I send her a message. She responds. And I was like, what? (laughs) And and she was like, well, hey, hey, how how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. She's like, well, what are you up to these days? And I said, oh, well, I'm in New York right now, actually, you know, trying to do musical theater. I was like, but I'm also, you know, a script consultant. And Uh I said it very offhand because that's not why I was reaching out to her. I was just reaching out to her to say, hello. Right. She responded and said, I'm in a coffee shop right now talking to God and trying to get through this script I'm trying to write. Do you do consultations? Can we get on the phone today? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? Right. So I ended up doing a consultation with her that day, a consultation with her husband, who's also a writer and a director the next day. Uh And then from that point on, it just started snowballing. I mean, coming from everywhere. Um, I started to put more time into my Instagram account. I'm going to say this to people. I think young people already know this because they kind of grew up with social media. But mm-hmm. for people who are kind of like over the age of 30, I'm going to say this. We were taught that you separate business from personal. That doesn't exist anymore. People want to see your face. Mm-hmm. They want to know who the people are behind the brand because they want to trust you. Now, from my point of view and in my generation, that's like, why do you care about me? I don't care about like what's going on with you. I wanna know about your business and if your business can do what I want it to do. Social media has taken all of that away. They wanna know who you are. So I didn't even have my name on my professional pin page. I didn't put it on there until this past August. I put my first picture of myself on my professional pin page in November. And the amount of likes and follows I got just because I decided to show my face right. was astronomical. So ever since then, you know, my likes and my follows have gone up, which don't matter unless they convert. Um, and so now I have clients who are coming into my DMs and asking about my services. And now I'm reaching out to people just like I reached out to you. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to take advantage of it as much as it seems like it's not it's um, it's it's a nuisance or it's a bother for people. This is a way that you can get your business out there. And it's been working for me since then. So I just got my LLC uh, last month. Mm-hmm. And so I was focusing all of my attention to musical theater because I wanted to be on the stage. But all of the things that were attracting to me were in consulting, which I'm very, very good at. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, why are you trying to make this other thing happen that, you know, I did. I've done some Broadway national tours and I've done a lot of shows. So I don't want to act like I haven't done anything, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to do more. Right. Right. It was like, well, but why are you focusing so much over here? 
when God is throwing things at you, like he's hitting me upside the head with things because Mm -hmm. I'm good at this. And so that's when I kind of got to this place of preaching to people about work, focus on what you're great at and the, and the stuff will come. You know what I mean? And if you don't know what you're great at yet, focus on one thing at a time to master it. Because if you focus on a, a few things at a time, you're not going to master any of them. You'll become good at maybe all of them, but you won't master them to give yourself an opportunity to say, okay, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. And ever since I started focusing, everything has just been coming to coming to me like it's supposed to. I don't feel the same kind of pressure because I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is how it's supposed to happen. And I'm just allowing the energy to come to me. Yeah. No, that's that, that's fantastic. It's, uh, I, let me see, what's that term? Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. Type yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, it, it's... It's like why run away from the thing that's calling you the most, and especially it's the one thing that you enjoy doing. Um, so I know you work with a lot of writers. So what is, and especially like I'm sure you work with some young writers too that mm-hmm. are just starting out. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you've noticed that you know, um, or some tips that you have for young writers or right. those that are starting out in writing? Yeah, this is gonna sound rude but everyone's not a writer. And I think that we're at a place where everyone thinks that they're a writer. So the question is, do you care enough about the craft to study it so you can be a writer? There is a skill to this thing. I can't just up and decide, I'm a cinematographer. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But people don't, because cinematography is more technical, people don't equate the skill level to be the same. Everyone is not a writer. So if writing is something that you want to do, you need to study it. Mm -hmm. You need to find a person, someone like me, who can take you through the foundations, especially for screenwriting, because Mm -hmm. it's its own beast. So there are people out there who are like, well, I'm an author and I have sold books, that's great. The format is not the same. The structure is not the same. The storytelling is not the same. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't just pick it up and try it. Why not? Mm -hmm. However, at some point, you have to decide that you're going to respect the craft and put in the work necessary so that you can really understand what this thing is about and decide that it's something that you want to do so you can be good at, not so you can just say you did it, right? And I think we're just in in a time in our lives where people just, they want the fame, Mm-hmm. So they're willing to do whatever, you know, they need to do so they can get the fame yeah. without thinking about, but do I respect this craft? Am I honing this craft? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, I forgot what the second thing was I was going to say. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, so basically, um, you know, once they start the writing process, let's say mm-hmm. someone is working with you, they're getting better. Um, they have a, a script, for example, and that they want to get out. How do they go about in sharing that and get that known and seen? Mm-hmm. So I always tell people Hollywood is the largest gated community of the world, right? And we're all on the outside knocking, mm-hmm. <laughs> waving. We don't have the password. The, <laughs> the security guard at the desk is like, who are you going to visit? We're like, we don't know. Let yeah. us in, right? We're all on the other side. That's not going to change. However, in the past 
you know, 15, 20 years, there have been some programs put into place to try to help us to get through the gate. So as much as people don't want to hear it, keep writing. Write, 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 write. Nobody cares if you only have one script. Nobody cares if you only have two, right? They want to see that you have taken this thing seriously enough to be great at it and have a portfolio, right? Um, so there are programs at almost every single studio or network out there. ABC has a writing program, NBC, Fox, CBS, Nickelodeon, right? And then there are fellowships like the Nichols Fellowship. Sundance has an institute. So look into those opportunities. And even though I only named like seven, right? There are probably a few more that matter. And I say mm -hmm. that because there are all kinds of film festivals and all kinds of programs out there that are gonna give you money because you won, but they don't put you in the room with anybody. It's a waste of your time. At the end of the day, if you wanna make some money, sure, spend $25 on the entry fee. And then if they give you $1,000, celebrate because now you can go pay your bills. So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if you think that winning the film festival around the corner from you is going to put you in a room, it won't, right? The big ones matter. So I always tell people before they send their money off to some competition or send their film off to some competition, look and see what the prize package is. And don't look at just the money, of course, unless you just want to make a few bucks. But the point is to get you in the room. So if the prize package for even semifinalists or finalists, not just the winner, if the prize package doesn't get you in the room with someone, on the phone with someone, whether that's a producer, an executive, somebody, then it's not getting you to the place you want to go. So right now, there are a lot of people who have in their profiles award winning. And it's just not true. It's not an Emmy. It's not an Oscar. <laughs> it's not Nichols. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's not getting you to the place that you want that you want to get right. You want to get access beyond the gate, so you want to apply for programs that are going to get you beyond the gate. Uh, with that being said, if you win any of those, or if you even become a finalist or a semi-finalist, that can maybe get you a little closer to getting your agent, right? Because agents only want to work with you if you're going to be bringing money in. Mm -hmm. That's how they get paid. They get paid if you get paid, right? right. So they aren't necessarily just looking for people who have great writing. They're looking for people who have a, a proven streak of other people being interested in their writing, right? So if you've won some of those competitions or you know gotten close, then now you kind of have something that you can go to an agent with, right? Realize that that agent's then gonna say, great, what else do you have? So that's why you wanna have a portfolio because if you don't, then they're like, okay, so I can only sell this one thing once. What do you want me to do after that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I think you have to take advantage of these film festivals and programs, but again, realizing that if they don't promise to get you in the room with someone or to put your name or your script in front of someone, then it's not what you want to do. Even if you look in, some people will list who the readers are for the script competition, right? If those people are actual working people in Hollywood, then great, submit it. Because the other thing is not when you submit to um, not the programs, because the programs, if you get into the programs, the point is for them to develop your writing so that you can get staffed on a TV show mm -hmm. or so that they can sell your script. That's what those programs are for. Mm -hmm. Film festivals, you may want to look at, look at it as, even if I don't win, the people who are writing, I'm not writing, reading 
may be interested in what I've written, right? A lot of people get into this industry because they have their own ideas and they think, they think everyone else cares about their ideas. They think I'm so creative. I have stories that nobody else has ever heard of. First of all, somebody else is thinking of the same story you're thinking of right now. It's all about who's gonna get there first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But being a writer in Hollywood is being work for hire. It's contract to contract. So what you're hoping that when you send your script out and somebody likes it, that even if they didn't like the concept, they liked your writing. Even if it didn't win, they still said to themselves, well, I have this comedy strip, script or this drama script over here that you might do well, right? So a lot of writers start off by being that, that go-to person that studios can call because they see that you understand structure. So that again goes back to honing this craft. Sure, anybody might be able to just write a random script and it do well, but can you reproduce it? Writers work on deadline. Writers are given ideas to write. It's not gonna always be go home and start from zero, mm -hmm. especially if you're on a TV writing staff. You're on a TV writing staff, you don't know whose idea it is that they're gonna give you and say, now go write the script. That's why you have to understand structure. That's why you have to understand how to write your particular, your particular genre. I always tell people you have to pick a lane and it's not because eventually you can't write whatever you wanna write once you get a big name. But in the beginning, they wanna know, are you a drama writer? If you are a drama writer, are you family drama? Are you cop drama? Are you medical drama? So that they then know which room to go pitch you to, right? Because you don't wanna say, well, I do comedy and then now you end up in the room for um, Modern Family and you're not funny at all, <laughs> right? You don't understand the half hour single camera structure at all. Then mm -hmm. guess what? You're not going to be able to produce. Doesn't matter what ideas you have. So you have to learn the structure and say, I am a single camera half hour comedy writer. That's totally different from a single camera, I mean, a multi-camera half hour comedy writer. It's totally different from a one hour drama writer and a one hour drama writer who's doing horror or who's doing family or again, who's doing procedural. Those are different structures. Those are different, I don't wanna say formats, but they have a, a different way of telling their story than the next one would. So you should mm -hmm. be reading a million scripts. You should be watching those television shows and then you should be choosing what lane you're in so that you can make sure that when you get staffed, you get staffed on something that you can produce. Because a lot of people will find out, they get there like, whoa, I had a lot of ideas. Whoa, I wrote that one script, but I have to get this written in the next three days and it wasn't my idea. Where do I start? Mm -hmm. If you learn structure, you can write anybody's idea. If you learn structure, people can hire you to do anything and you'll be able to punch it right back out. So that's what I do when I'm working with my clients. I actually have an online screenwriting class um, where I teach structure. We do it for five weeks. I actually had one client who wrote her entire script in those five weeks. I have other clients who make it to their outline because I think the outline is the most important part of the process. And a lot of people don't, but I think it is because if you don't have an outline as a creative, what's gonna happen is you're gonna start writing and then you think of a computer screen and all those different tabs coming up, mm -hmm. right? Because you're gonna get distracted. Right. Now you're gonna be going this way when you should have been going that way. If you have an outline, 
once you get distracted and then you realize you're distracted, you have something to go back to, a foundation to say, oh, that was the point of this scene. <laughs> now right. let me you know, go back and get it done, which will then help you once you get to the end and you don't have to rewrite a thousand times mm -hmm. because you stayed on track while you were doing it. And yes, you might need to go back and fill some holes here and there, but it won't be that whole, I've been rewriting for five years thing. No, you're not gonna have five years to do anything mm -hmm. once you become that working writer. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So right. I think that's just really important for people to understand if they want to be a working writer in Hollywood, that it's not always gonna be about your ideas, especially in the beginning. And then once you've proven yourself, then people will listen to you because now it's not as big of a risk, you know? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, for someone that is saying, well, I have this script, but I'm afraid of showing it to other people. I'm afraid of sharing it. I just don't like it. What do you have to say to that? I think you have to get over it. <laughs> You're in the wrong industry if you don't want to share your ideas. I think the writer is the only person who doesn't understand how collaborative this, uh, this creative industry is that we're in. Like, so like I said earlier, you never know whose idea it is once it gets on screen. It might yeah. not have been the writer's. It could have been the random PA who walked by and was paying attention and said something like you just don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to be willing to share because that's the only way that we're going to see your baby. You mm -hmm. know, there's no point of having a baby that you lock in a room. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They don't get to go out and be, you know, responsible citizens. Uh -huh. So the same thing is true about your script. You have to get over that. If you're concerned with it, get it copywritten by the U.S. Copyright Office. So that if you feel like someone stole your idea, you can take them to court. If you do the if you do the WGA registry, you cannot take them to court with that. WGA registry just says, I had an idea and here it is on file. Copyright office says, and if somebody steals it, we can do something about it. Right. So if you if you're if you're feeling that way, great. Get that done. However, um, it can become expensive if you want to get that done with every single thing that you decide to write, especially if you haven't gotten to a place where you have an agent or a manager and anything, and it's still just you trying to make it happen. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, find a group of friends, you know, that you trust, because if it's just you and your computer, you're always going to think your baby is either great or terrible. <laughs> and you're never going to get from someone else's point of view that it's not great. It's not terrible maybe it's somewhere in between, here are some places that you can fill some holes. When you find these friends, find friends who are not yes men. You don't want a bunch of friends who are like, oh, it's great, right? right? Even though they know it's not. Or don't find friends who have no idea what they're talking about. If they don't understand structure, they don't understand three-dimensional characters, they don't understand tangible and intangible goals, they don't understand complications, they don't understand stakes, why are they reading your stuff? Mm -hmm. They can't give you any real feedback. All they can say is, I like it, I don't like it, I'd watch it, I wouldn't watch it. That's unhelpful. Let me not say that. Sure, it's helpful because if a lot of people say I wouldn't watch it, then you know you got some problems. But mm -hmm. it doesn't help you know what problems to fix. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So right. it does show you like, yeah, something's wrong because nobody would, would watch it, but mm -hmm. you don't know where to begin. And then that's how you get into that five-year rewriting process <laughs> because you don't know what to do next, you know? Yeah, yeah. Surround yourself with people that, you know, will give it to you, you know, real. Real. You know, like, yeah. And who, and who know what they're talking about. 
And if yeah. you can't find those people, that's why you look for someone like me, because that's my job. I am invested in my clients. So when I work with clients, I am not here to tell you that your stuff is good if it sucks. I'm, uh, that's just not my job. I'm not going to take your money and then lie to you. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right. But it's also not my job to not be constructive. It's not my job to just say, this sucks. Have a good day. Right. It's my job to inform you. Here are the areas of confusion. Here are the areas of development. Here are some some suggestions to get you out of it. Right. So you're going to you, if, if you want to hone this craft, you need somebody on your team who can give you some of those answers and get you out of that roadblock. Because again, that's how you then get to writer's block, right? Because you've gotten to a place and you don't know how to get around it, but you don't have anyone in your life who can help you to get around it. And so now you start feeling like a failure and now you start looking at that white screen as the double. And now you're like, oh my God, I can't do it, right? So knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. There are plenty of writers out there who know that they can write a good act one and a good act three and they suck at act two. So what does that mean? that they have a writing partner who writes great act twos <laughs> or that they have a script consultant that they come to who can help them to get through act two. I say this all the time. You're not a failure just because you can't write the full script because guess what? If, and when you sell it, someone's going to rewrite it anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> someone's going to be assigned to get on it and make changes anyway. Right. So once you've made it to the end of the script, celebrate that. Go back through it and tighten it up in the places that you know you can tighten up. Find someone else who can do the rest of the work, someone like me, and then let it go. Put it to the side and work on your next script. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as making it perfect. Someone else is going to rewrite it. Someone else, by the time it gets to the screen, it's not going to even be your idea anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so exactly. there's no point in stressing over this one script forever when someone else is going to put their hands on it anyway, if you ever sell it, you know, so yep. just get it out so it can be a part of your portfolio, not get it out and then leave it alone. Literally get it out, yeah. work with people to polish it, make sure it's good, then set it to the side and, and keep on. Because mm -hmm. if you keep working on that same one, that's another reason why you get writer's block because mm -hmm. you, then you can't see the progress. Then again, you start feeling like a failure because your expectation level is up here and you're down here. It's like make your expectation to finish it. Make your expectation to work with someone who can polish it and make sure that it's good. And then make your expectation to put it to the side until you can submit it to whatever it is you're going to submit it to. And right. then guess what? You can reach all of those goals. Mm -hmm. Now you don't feel like a failure. Now you feel like I'm accomplished. Now you can celebrate your wins. Right. Exactly. Like, because the more you work at it, if you just stay with one thing, you're never going to grow as a writer. Like mm -hmm. you have to keep a consistent pace as a writer going yeah. through the whole process and that makes a lot of sense um so for you personally why do you keep doing what you're doing what is your why my why is that i i literally get passionate about it like i literally care <laughs> you know it sucks though because i can't watch any movie anymore you know i still watch it like i still love movies i love mm -hmm. tv I tell people I'm the, the easiest date ever. We can watch TV or we can go to the movies. Like, I, I, I love it. <laughs> However, I am going to tear it to shreds because that's just, you know, right. how, how I work. But I, I'm really that passionate about it. I really get excited watching the wheels turn in the writer's head as things start to click for them. Because a lot of my clients are making the same mistakes because it comes back down to structure. They have an idea, but they have no idea how to get there. Every single film is about a character accomplishing a goal. 
every single film. It's that simple. The next thing is your act two is your how to guide, right? If you said, I'd like to make a cake, let's write down how to do that. First, you buy the cake mix, then you buy the eggs, then you do this, then you do that, then you do this. That's what your second act is. Mm -hmm. How do I get from A to B? What are the literal steps? Most people do none of that work. They just have an idea and they start writing. So then by the time they send it to me and I read it, I can see there's no structure. There's no goal. There's just people hanging out. Guess what people don't want to see? People hanging out. Mm -hmm. And even when you watch reality TV, you'll notice that they have edited the content to make a story because there's nothing entertaining about watching people do their everyday lives for 24 hours a day. (laughs) Nothing whatsoever, right? So even in um, reality television, they're gonna pick and choose which information to give you so they can build a story. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is true in your writing. And so many of uh, young writers, and so therefore my clients miss that part because they're so excited about their idea. So I love working with them and seeing them start catch the, catching the clues. I love seeing their progress. Like I dance for them, like literally. <laughs> I was working with one of my clients the other day and she sent me her outline and it was a, so much of a progress, so much of a pro- progression uh-huh. from the last one. I literally was in my like, living room <laughs> dancing, right? So yeah. I, I just get excited about it. And I think, you know, everything happens for a reason. So I went through my whole journey for a reason, you know, starting off in one industry, going to film school, then going off and being an executive and then being a performing artist and then, you know, getting here. All of that happened for a reason because now I have, um, I know what it is to be on the set on both sides. I know what it is to be that actor. I know what it is to be the writer. I know what it is to be the executive. I know what all those parts are. So I have all of that experience to bring to it. Um, And so it's crazy that I took this long to get here, but it just makes me excited. I just get... Mm -hmm. I just get happy talking about it, you know? So it's like, yeah, who doesn't want a job that makes them happy? Exactly. That's so true. So looking back to, you know, your younger self, um, now that you have all this experience, what is one piece of advice for your younger self? Mm. I don't know because I, you know, I just don't believe in regrets. I believe it all happens like it was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I if I did believe in regrets, I would tell my younger self, don't go to college, go straight to LA and work your way up. Knowing what I know, that means I would not have seen the world. Mm-hmm. That means I would not have had so many relationships with so many different people, which also gives me more information about characters because I've met so many people from so many different backgrounds Um, it would mean that I wouldn't have worked in so many different industries to learn how those industries work and know that they're different from others. Again, that's information and experience I can bring into my writing. Mm -hmm. So that's again, why it's like, I probably wouldn't change anything. Um, the advice though, that I give now to people that people gave me back then that I didn't listen to is pick a lane. People told me that a million times. Cause I was like, I'm a writer, I'm a singer, I'm an actor, I'm a dancer. (laughs) You know, I, I do it all. And they're like, Pick a lane so that you can be great at it. And I was like, no, I'm multi-talented. <laughs> and, you know, here I am X amount of years later. Who knows that if I would have picked a lane where I would be now, right? I didn't. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. but I learned from it. And now that I picked my lane, I am reaping the benefits. So I would say to other people, go ahead and pick a lane. You have a lifetime. Even if you spend a decade on one lane, you can then decide I'm going to spend another decade doing something else. It doesn't mean that that's what you have to do for the rest of your life. And I think that's what I heard. What I heard was you can only be a singer, period. Instead of hearing, focus on singing, see where singing takes you. And then if you want to do something else, do something else. So that's what I want people to know now, like just focus in, give all your energy to that one thing and then see where it takes you. And then if you decide I want to do something else, you have a lifetime. Every day that you wake up is your opportunity to change. It's your opportunity to make a different choice. It's your opportunity to go in a different direction. So don't think you don't have the time. You have the time, God willing, right? So use it so that you can become great at what you want to do. Yes. Yes. Very well said. Thank you. So for your future, what yes. what's in it for you? All right. So I'm really into development. If I were to go back to being a development exec, I'd want to work at a smaller production company or work for an actor, writer or producer or director who does has their own development slate mm -hmm. um, so that I could kind of help them with that. I don't think I would want to be at a large place again. I think I'd rather be at, at a smaller place. Um, I want to be the go-to person for studios when they need rewrites and revisions. So like we were talking about, like after you sell your script, someone's going to rewrite it. I mm -hmm. want to be that person. Got it. <laughs> I, I, I love taking what's already there and then like tightening it up. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would love to do. Um, I am in my immediate future. I teach screenwriting. So I would love more opportunities to teach screenwriting. Uh, I am going to Texas to do a few workshops. So I would love the opportunity to travel and do it. I was in Atlanta all of February teaching a five week TV writing class. So those opportunities to just kind of, again, give people a little bit more access to the gate, right? To be able right. to go around the world and do that, like sitting on panels and talking. Um, so what's coming up now is I have an online screenwriting course that teaches you structure. Five week course, it starts on April 1st. So if anyone's interested in learning more about that, find me at The Professional Pen. I'm doing a free 15-minute call with anyone who wants information about it, and we can get it done. I'm not going to take very many people because I only want people who are serious. Mm -hmm. um, this is going to be an opportunity for everyone to have accountability partners. So I don't want someone who's not dedicated to the process. So if you're dedicated to the process and you're ready to learn structure because you know you've been kind of like running into a wall, right, and you can't figure out how to get past that thing, probably the structure. Come work with me. We'll get it done. Um, I have some table reads coming up, one in Houston and one in Dallas. We're going to have five writers. We're going to read the first 15 pages of your script. You're going to get critique from your peers and you're going to get professional coverage from me. Why are we going to do the first 15 pages? Because that's about all you're going to get when your script hits the desk. And, if, and the desk of the intern, not even the executive, right? The mm -hmm. desk of the intern, because I was that intern, right? Uh-huh. So you want to make sure that that first 15 pages is going to get you to the next level. So we're going to do that as a group, five writers only, one in Houston, one in Dallas. Um, and then I also, while I'm in Dallas, I'm doing a business of the business conversation with the Dallas Screenwriters um, Alliance. Mm -hmm. uh, and because like we said, a lot of people don't know a lot about the business. Like right. they know they want to write or whatever, but they don't know about the business. So I'm going to do that while I'm in Dallas on April 13th. 
And let's see. Oh, and in Atlanta on April 7th. So the Screencraft Writer Summit is happening in Atlanta. And I'm going to be on one of the panels on April 7th. We're going to be talking about uh, how we can make development culture, make a development culture in Georgia. Because Georgia has a lot of production, right? Mm. There are people who are filming in Georgia. But there's not a lot of content coming from Georgia, or at least that's not what they're filming, right? It's yeah. all of the LA stuff, getting the tax the good, the good tax credits by filming in Georgia, right? right? So yeah. we're trying to figure out how they could have more of a development um, kind of world there. So I'm going to be on that panel. Um, besides that, all of my um, services include pitch preparation, script coverage. I do proofreading. I do formatting. Because like a lot of people always say, well, I just don't know how to format it. And that's a part of their writer's block. Forget that part for right now. You know, like go read some scripts, A, so that you can just kind of see it. Mm -hmm. Go buy the software. And then beyond that, just write. Because there are other people out here who can fix it. Don't get stuck on formatting, right? Right. So I do proofreading and I do formatting. And then I do revisions and I do rewrites. So I would just like to continue to work for myself. I like the fact that I can work from anywhere. So while I'm in Texas, I can still be, you know, doing whatever work I need to do. So if I'm mm -hmm. when I get on a larger tour, I'm just going to say it, it's going to happen. When I get on a larger tour to, to go do workshops, I'll still be able to work with my clients and everything because I can work from anywhere. So I hope to continue to, to do this and make my own schedule, entrepreneur life. Yep. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and continue to help writers and, and hopefully see my clients make it to reach their goals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that is that is great to hear. I'm glad that you're able to do what you love to do now and especially travel all over and help as many people, not just obviously in the LA area, but right. you're able to still, you know, work for yourself. You know, you're able to schedule your own time and, you know, make a living doing what you love to do. Mm -hmm. So Thank you again for being on the podcast. I definitely learned a lot from what oh, you had to say. So that's <laughs> awesome. And I'm sure a lot of people listening right now will learn a lot as well and benefit from this. And obviously, I'll put all your information down in the show notes. So okay. you can, you, can uh, you know, people can check out what you do. And uh, hopefully more people will benefit. I'm sure they will benefit yeah. from Come what you have out. to offer. Let's get these benefits. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again, Shannon. And I wish you all the best. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be placing Shannon's info in the show notes so you can stay connected. And if you know a friend that can benefit from this, please share it. So thanks again for joining in. And until next time, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace.